It's always good to see the kids share with us in song and celebrate and see the smiling faces and just kind of the joy. It's, uh, it's always good. So thanks to Lewis and to Charlie for, for working with the choir and the kids and uh, seeing that. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Well, really, before we get to Genesis chapter 3, let me, let me give you a cool picture. It's a picture of joy. It's a picture of perfection. It's the picture of Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 where it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Man and woman created uniquely for one another to correspond to one another, to, to be different from one another, but uniquely representing the image of God placed in the garden to, to represent God, to rule. And it says there that they were naked and not ashamed. A picture of unity. No hint of dissension, no hint of division, no disappointment, no frustration, no, no squabbles or, or, or anything over who left up the toilet seat or, or who didn't close the sock drawer or, or who didn't pay that bill or who spent too much at the store. None of that. No struggle. No, no, no heartache. No disappointments. The way... God designed it. That's a pretty picture, isn't it? That's kind of an amazing picture. And, and all of human history has been a struggle towards what we would call happiness, but struggle towards what God originally created and intended for us. Anybody Anybody make it through the entire week with it, all the married people here? Anybody make it through the entire week without disappointing or upsetting your spouse? Let me see that hand. Well, we'll keep the invitation open for one more chorus. No? Anybody have frustration with a boss or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or a son or a daughter or someone? Anybody? Anybody have that? Oh, yeah, that's how you get the response right there. You ask the right question. The struggle of life together. There was always work. There was always, there was always a task to be done. But here in the passage of scripture, we have a woman and a man together doing what God called them to do in the place that God created with no bitterness, no frustration, no disappointment, no heartache, nothing. Just unity, joy, and the splendor of being able to be naked and unashamed together. So, so what happened? How do we get in the mess where we all live? Not, 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 the, not the political party mess of you got to be on one side or the other or the, 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 the national debt mess or, or, or all the, the mess of sin. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter today, but for right now, we're going to read the first eight verses together, seven verses together. So if you have your place in Scripture and are able to, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read verses 1 through 7 together, looking at this passage of Scripture and seeing how the image was broken. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. Let's pray together. 
Father, we pray that you would that you would show us your word. We we all live with the brokenness of sin. We all struggle with having lost some of what it originally meant to be the image bearer of God. But God, we know that through Christ Jesus, you have established that we could know you, that that unity, that relationship is restored. And so we ask this morning that, that you would show us how we as your image bearers could, can live beyond the brokenness and live in the redemption that you offer in Christ. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this is probably a passage of scripture you've read before or, or, or talked through before or, or even been in a Sunday school lesson or a Sunday sermon and, and heard a passage, a sermon similar to this one about. So, so I'm not going to give you all of the little Sunday school nuances. I, I want us to see a few things. I want us to see six statements of truth and then three applications of that truth to our heart this morning coming right out of the entire chapter. I know we didn't read verses 8 through 24, but we're going we're gonna to kind of walk through all of this together because there, there is one thing that happens in this passage of scripture that corrupted everything. But it's not just as simple as saying, well, Eve ate the fruit. Let's look together at this passage of scripture. It says that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, in order to accomplish what he sought to do, Satan, the devil, Lucifer fallen, cast out of heaven, uh, minimizes the authority of God and deceives Adam and Eve. He, he minimizes God's authority. Notice with me, if you will, how this phrase is used time and time again in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Every time that Moses, the one who wrote these words by his hand under the inspiration of a holy God and the power of his spirit, every time that he himself writes this and talks about God, he uses a very particular phrase. He says, the Lord God. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 1. It says that the, bee, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. If you scroll on down in your, in your text of scripture to verse 8, it says that they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And, and so the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to the man and said, hey, what's going on here? Go over to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like us. Verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. There is an authority that is used here for this, for this God. It is the Hebrew expression, Yahweh Elohim. He is placing a title. He is placing a superior, uh, su superior place, a superior, uh, um, he is elevating the superiority of God over everything. Not just to say that he's a God, not just to say that he had some role in creation, but this is the Lord and Master God. But notice what Satan does in verse 1. He says to the woman, Indeed, has God said? The woman rattles this in her mind and verse 3 says, Well, God has said you shall not eat from this tree. And in verse 5, the serpent comes back and says, For God knows. And then again it says that you will be like God. And I know on the surface you're like, well, he's still calling him God, isn't he? He's calling him God without the authority of Lord. He's calling him God without the authority of the master, the one who made, the one who designed, the one who created, the one who could give a command that deserved and was to be obeyed. He minimizes God's authority. Doesn't he do that to you? Does God really know? Is it really okay for you to do this? I mean, God, God's going to be okay with this. Well, what has God said? What has the Lord God said? What does the authority of God demand? Satan deceives Adam and Eve by minimizing the authority of God. And once he minimizes the authority of God, he then twists the word of God in order to create doubt. 
Notice this little scheme that he has here. He says, has the Lord God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? That wasn't what God said, was it? Look over there, if you will, in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 2. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it, to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, remember, this is the Lord God, the authoritative one, says to him, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Do you see that twist that Satan did? God's command was, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. And he comes to Eve and says, well, has he said that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? See, what happens is Satan will take that word of God and he'll twist it ever so slightly. He says, has he really says it? So the woman said, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God, lesser authority God, has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Well, was that what God said? Chapter 2, verse 17. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. He did say don't eat it. He did say you will surely die, but he never said anything about touching it. Right? She adds to it. Because the doubt of what God had said and what God meant was, was brought into the picture by the twist of Satan. And he says there in verse 4, verse, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Sometimes Satan slips in there and he twists the word of God. Sometimes Satan slips in there and he outright lies to you about the word of God. It is all a lie from the pits of hell, from the utter darkness, from the adversary. But sometimes he nuances it subtly so that you think, oh. But sometimes he completely changes and says, no. No, no, no. Remember, this is God. This isn't the Lord God. Remember, we've taken away his authority. He, you're not going to surely die. Actually, Eve, what you need to know, verse 5, that God knows that in the day you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Well, who doesn't want to be like God, right? Man, who doesn't want to have that kind of a power? Who doesn't want to be able to just say yes and make that happen? Or who doesn't want to have the ability to command worship? And who doesn't want to have the ability to know exactly how everything in the universe works together and fits together and operates? Who doesn't want that, right? To be honest with you, I don't want that. That's too much responsibility. I have enough trouble keeping three kids in line, much less the rest of y'all. And y'all are church. What about the not church? You want that responsibility? I don't think so. But we strive. We strive to place ourselves and others on par with God. We strive to make ourselves as God-like as we can be, not in imitating him and his holiness, but in usurping that power. And Satan comes in and twists and says, don't you want the power of God? Don't you want this, Eve? See, if God really was for you, your special creation, wouldn't he have already given you freedom to eat of that tree? He just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to represent him. He doesn't want you to really have his image. If he did, he would give you everything that he has. You see that twist? You see that twist? Can I be honest with you for just a second? Satan doesn't do anything different in 2018 than he did that day. He's got one trick. He's, got, he's a one-hit wonder that's been playing the same record for thousands of years. Slithering into your heart and mind, twisting the word of God to create doubt of whether or not God wants what's best for us, whether or not God loves us, whether or not God cares for us, whether or not God is even involved in our lives. Just one bite, Eve. He's not going to know. He just doesn't want you to know what he knows. He twists the word of God and creates doubt. 
That's his biggest tool. If he can just get you to doubt God, he knows that he can get you to disobey God. You remember what he did to Jesus? Whoo, Jesus, aren't you hungry, buddy? You've been out here for 40 days in this wilderness. They don't have a McDonald's drive-thru. You need to slip over there and find those some rocks and turn them into bread. Because you can't go hungry. You're the Messiah. If your father really cared about you, he would have sent, sent his angels with the manna down here, right? Twisting it. Oh, oh Jesus, come on. Now, you really want to show what you got. Now, just want, come on up here with me to the top of the temple. Just throw yourself down. You Remember, remember God said in his word that, that his holy ones would come and rescue you. Oh, Jesus, you remember your destiny was to be the prince of everything, the king of kings. I tell you what, you bow down to me and I'll give you what God promised. You don't have to go through God to get his promise. If he's going to do that to Jesus, what do you think he's going to do to you? If he's going to come after Jesus and twist the word of God and create enough doubt in your heart and your mind, we're no better than Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, we're weaker than Adam and Eve because we live in light of the curse, not before the curse. Not only that, Adam and Eve break God's command. He created enough doubt. He twisted, he took away enough authority. He shifted things to where the focus was on them and not on God. I'm telling you, it's the same trick. He wants you to focus on you and what makes you happy and not what is holy God's ordained pattern and plan for the world that he created. It says there in verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate. She bought the lie. She allowed the desire and she acted on it. She bought the lie. She allowed the desire and she acted on it. David, the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, bought the lie that he didn't have to do what other kings did so he stayed home and he saw a woman taking a bath and he saw the desire, allowed it. And you know what he did? He acted on it. David bought the lie that if he could just get rid of Uriah, all of his problems would go away. So he bought the lie, the desire to have his problems go away. He allowed that. And you know what he did? He acted on it. He had murder committed in order to cover his sin. David bought the lie that if he, the king of Israel, if he, the king of Israel, could just stop some of the unrighteousness in his house that he would be able to reign in peace but when his son Absalom came to him with the rape of his sister and he did nothing about it he had the desire for peace but he acted on that and what ended up costing him two years on the throne and a son See, see, God's commands are given not to be broken, but to be honored and obeyed because he is the Lord God. See the pattern? Minimize God's authority, twist God's word, break the command. Minimize God's authority, twist God's word, break the command. And it's been the cycle, the pattern of history. That's why pornography and illicit sex runs rampant. Same-sex marriage and attraction runs rampant. That's why we have drugs. That's why we have stealing. That's why we have murder. Because God is somewhere out there and he may or may not care about this. I want to be happy, so I'm giving myself into the desire and I'm going to break the command. The commands that he's given. It starts by minimizing his authority. But then he goes on and uh, just because he's God. Oh, sorry, before I get there. It says that she took from the fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. I do not pin the sin on Eve. I pin it on Adam. 
Adam, you were placed in this world to exercise dominion and you were not. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying when I say exercising dominion here because it has nothing to do with his relationship to Eve but with his relationship to evil. Because he had the opportunity as the image bearer of God, not tainted by sin, to oppress the unrighteousness that was playing out before him. It does not say that Eve had to go scampering off into the garden and say, Adam, you got to eat this fruit. It's the greatest thing I've ever tasted. It says there, plain and simple, that she gave it to him who was with her. So let's put it this way. Hmm, that looks pretty good. <laughs> Want a bite? And Adam, being a man, was so simplistic to think, well, I'll be. She didn't fall over dead. Now, I was told she was going to die, but she's still standing here off me. I think I'll take a bite too. When Adam had the opportunity to say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. I don't know what kind of demon devil you are, serpent. But we were commanded by the most high God not to eat this fruit and we will not spit that out now. If he would have stood for righteousness rather than stood there and said, yeah, I think I'll have some, the whole narrative would have played out differently. This was not Eve's sin. This was Adam's sin. That's why we get over to the book of Romans chapter 5 and Paul says, hey, it was through one man, Adam, that death entered the world through sin. Not through one woman, Eve, through one man, Adam. Guys, you see how important it is that we go back to last week and we see that we must, under the provision of God, under everything that he's given us, exercise dominion and subdue the earth and cultivate it according to God's purpose, God's provision, God's plan. Not our own. We won't be fulfilled any other way. We, we, we won't. But it says there that when that happened, the brokenness already appeared. It says in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. The first act was the broken unity between husband and wife realized. There, there's the Jesus story Bible paints this in a, bit, in a beautiful picture. It's, it, it gives it in, in, in terms for children and, and it just talks about how the bird flies from Adam's hand, how the deer darts into the thicket, how everything came unraveled. Adam, who was able to walk through the garden, exercise dominion as God's perfect image bearer, walking through there, everything changed. And the first thing they did was the same thing that you and I do. We cover and hide. We cover and hide. You don't have to be a six-year-old knocking over grandma's lamp and have it break and say, oh, oh she did it. No, no, no. Or try to scoot it under the rug like there never was a lamp there we we hide we try to cover and we hide we try to cover it up by looking better by 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 by, by trying to mask what's going on but we try to cover and hide adam and eve they saw oh, oh this is good i'm looking at you different our relationship has changed now we've got to cover up but it's in that that god holds them accountable for their sin God holds Adam and Eve accountable. It says there in verse 8, then they heard the sound of the Lord God. Now all of a sudden it's back to the Lord God, remember? They've, they, they, tried to, they tried to take away and minimize his authority, but now Moses is saying, no, no, this, remember this is the same authoritative God. The Lord God walking in the garden to cool the day, and so the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. This is not chapter 2 verse 25 that they were naked and ashamed. Um, excuse, naked and unashamed. This is not chapter two. Hey, hey, uh, God's here. Um, Adam, I just made you. And so you're going to do this. This is your realm. This is your world. I'm putting you in here. I'm going to make a helper for you. And this is not Adam going, yes, thank you, God. Bone of my bone, flesh in my flesh. She's the one. This is not the man leaving and cleaving and being united to his wife in the one flesh union. And there it is. No, this is, we've got to get away from here. God comes to them. And it says in verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? It wasn't that God didn't know where he was. <laughs> As if anything escapes the scope of an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. God was giving him an opportunity to fess up, right? Moms and dads get this. 
You know who broke, you know, you know who drew with the crayon all over the walls. You know who did it. But you still ask, hey, did you do this? God knew. Where are you? Well, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, it's not that God didn't know. God created this world. God created this whole scenario. He knew exactly what would happen. And the only way that Adam would ever know that he was naked and start bearing the shame and try to hide would be if he ate that fruit off of that particular tree. It might have been a grapefruit. It might have been a banana. It might have been an apple. I don't know. It could have been a watermelon. But God knew as soon as you eat that, when you eat that, you will know. So Adam... Tell me the truth, buddy. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree? You know, see how far broken it got? It, it wasn't just that it was broken and they had to cover themselves. It wasn't just that they were broken and they had to hide themselves. The brokenness in the relationship is revealed with Adam's response. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Now on the surface level, it looks like he's blaming Eve, right? But I want you to see something a little bit bigger about Adam's statement. He's blaming God. God, you are the one that made this woman. You are the one that gave her to me. You gave me a defective model. You gave me a lemon, Lord. I'm calling lemon laws on this one. I would not be in this situation if it wasn't for what you gave me. So God, this is on you. Should have made me a better one. Right? You see that? Did you eat from the tree, Adam? Well, it was because you gave me a woman. It's because you, Lord, she handed me that fruit and I ate it, but it's because you put her here. So I kind of think that I need to do something for her or with her or obey her or do something because you gave her to be my suitable helper and I thought she was helping me. So Lord, this is your design flaw. Whoops. Anybody want to do that one? Be honest, anybody done that one? Lord, I wouldn't be miserable if you hadn't put me in this marriage. I would be happy if you had given me kids that would do this. Lord, if you had provided this, Lord, if you had just called my lottery numbers Saturday night. Here's some guilty laughter out there. Lord, if you had done this. And God said, no, no, you're accountable, son. Turns to the woman. What did you do? What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the, the woman's actually honest here. The serpent deceived me and I ate. She's not pointing her finger at the serpent. She's given the source of the deception. God, I understand you are the Lord God and everything that you have made, you said yourself was very good and I was deceived. I allowed the, the, the lie, the authority to minimize, I allowed the lie to creep in and I took of what was not given to me. I was deceived and I ate. Finally, somebody being honest. I was deceived and I ate. And so in order to hold them all accountable, God issues what we call the curse. It's the curse and the fall. The fall happens when they ate, when Adam ate the apple. The curse is the response to the fall. And it says that the Lord said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put in between, enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. 
And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to the Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you say, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It will grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. You were dust and to dust you shall return. Let's kind of walk through this curse that's holding accountable. To the serpent, to the serpent, he promises that there's one that's going to come to crush him. I don't believe he's talking to a snake right here. He's talking to the power behind the snake. He's talking to Lucifer, Hasatan, the Satan, the one that was cast out before time began, cast to this earth, the one who tried to usurp the authority and the power and the glory of God in the heavens before there was time, the one who we understand to be the devil. He speaks to him and says, your day's coming. You thought that getting cast out of heaven was bad enough? You will be crushed by the seed of this woman that you deceived by one that will come from her. It says there, it says on the belly, on your belly you'll go and you'll eat dust. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a big enough imagination, a holy enough imagination to know was, say, was the serpent really a lizard and then it just got to fill its legs off and that's why we have snake. I, I don't know. I've heard that argued. Well, clearly this had to have been like a Komodo dragon or something and now it doesn't have legs so it has to slither. Maybe. But the point is not what kind of animal it was. The point is that God said, there is a curse coming on your head. Your days are numbered. You thought that I wasn't serious when I told this man that he would surely die when he ate of this fruit, but you're gonna know something bigger and worse. And you're gonna try to do this to my image bearers and continue to keep them in, an, in a broken image for the, all of time until the time ends and I come and my seed, my son through this woman will crush you gonna crush you that's hope for us folks God holds us accountable to our sin but he's crushing the one who has brought temptation and ungodliness and wickedness into this world but it's not hope if you are not in Christ because even though hell was designed for Satan and his legion of fallen angels it becomes the place where those who reject Christ, who choose to follow the way of deception, will find themselves for eternity. To the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your child, your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Folks, this is bad. He says there's going to be pain in child, childbearing. Giving birth is going to hurt. I could remember when Braden was born. Christy had to be induced. And we we're in the hospital. We get there on Friday night. And they're going to start the induction on Saturday morning. Oh, it's probably about 6.30, 6.45 Saturday morning. We are both jolted awake by the horrific screams of the woman in the room next to us who decided she was going to give birth au naturel. <laughs> and being a, and that, that means no medicine. Christy looks at me with this terrorized face of what's about to happen to me. G giving birth is a painful process. The trauma that is placed on the woman's body during the birth process epidural or no epidural the trauma to the body creates a lot of pain a lot of time for healing is the baby worth it you better believe it ladies is the baby worth it I didn't go through that part so I got to be careful there right ladies is the baby worth it absolutely but it doesn't take away the pain it doesn't take away the nine months of restlessness, of sleeplessness, of reflux, of pain, of bringing that child and having it grow. It doesn't take that away, does it? It just makes it joy in the end. 
But it's not just the birth process. He says there, in pain, you will bring forth your children. The word that's used here in the Hebrew is a construct that is continually used for how you will raise your children. Women, you will carry scars emotionally from raising your children that men can't understand. So fellas, give her a break sometimes. You're going to care. You remember, let's, let's go to Jesus. Mary and Joseph, they, she gives birth. And all these people are coming. You got shepherds and donkeys. And then you got these, these magi from the east that come. And what does it say about Mary? It says that she took all of these and treasured them in her heart. Fast forward 12 years. Jesus is missing. They went to Jerusalem, they're on the way home, and they realize, ah, Jesus is sitting around here. We better go and find him. Mary's the one frantically searching. Joseph's like, well, he's got me. He's a big kid, he can handle. <laughs> Women carry the scars differently. But that's not as bad as it gets. It says there in verse 16, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This is no license for male domineering. This is a result, and we've seen it play out through the history of the world. Women treated in, and, and placed in position of subjection as a lower class person. Male dominance to the point of trying to choke out that dignity of being a co-image bearer. And, and we're not talking about pay rates and all that. We're talking about the way that women are used by men throughout all of time in society. Women becoming a someone just to give birth and just to give pleasure and just to obey the man. It says here that because of this curse, the, the domination of the man that he was supposed to, the, the dominion he was supposed to exercise on creation, he's now going to exercise on you. This wasn't God's ordained will. This was what the fall created and part of the curse that we, because of broken relationships, use each other rather than honor one another as image bearers of God. That's why trafficking is a huge issue. That, that, that's why, that's why uh, pornography is such a huge issue. The using of women for the pleasure rather than to dignify them as image bearers of God. Says, your desire is to be for your husband. He's going to rule over you. That's why even girls right now, 12, 13, 14, talk to middle school teachers in the public schools, in the private schools, even the Christian private schools. Girls as young as 10, 11, 12 years old with the thought process that they have to do certain things to gain the affection and the approval of the boys in their class. That if they don't perform, if they don't do this, if they don't send this kind of picture, if they don't respond this way, if they don't act this kind of flirtatious way, that they're not going to be loved, they're not going to be accepted. All of this can be corrected by a gospel-centered man in the home pouring the love of Christ and pouring redemption into their heart, into their lives and showing them their dignity and their worth before God as an image bearer. But instead, society says, you're only good if you do it this way. And, and, and the trauma. And you thought we were just going to talk about, well, Eve ate the apple and uh, God said you shouldn't have done that and he sent him out of the garden. no. The reason we live in brokenness is because Satan has tried since the beginning to, to, to cause us to not see ourselves as bearers of the image of God, but as objects to be used by one another. He's brought us down to this, this mediocre utility rather than the glory of knowing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior. And so he, God says, I'm going to hold you accountable for your sin, but you got to see what you've just unleashed. All right, Adam, buckle up. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you. See the contrast God says there? Because you listened to someone other than me. You want, you want to put this on me, Adam? 
You want to say it's because I gave you a woman? Okay, well, you should have listened to me in the, in the beginning, right? You should have obeyed what I commanded and not eaten of that fruit of that tree. Because of that, cursed is the ground. You're going to eat from it, but it's going to be hard, 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 hard labor. You're going to plant fruit, but instead you're going to get thorns and thistles. You're, the ground itself, earth, creation rebelling against us. Man, that's why we're driven so hard to find our, our utility, find our um, significance, find our, our, uh, our worth in what we do. Not in how we were made. We're trying to find our significance in the workplace, in the paycheck. We work hard and we, we come home and we use those, the, the, those, the, uh, those um, we use those phrases of, well, you don't know how hard I work for this family. And you don't know how much, and, and we strive and we strive and we strive and it's harder and harder and harder. We think if we could just get more, so I'll work harder and we work harder and it doesn't satisfy. It's because everything in creation is rebelling against us because it was going to be work, but it wasn't going to be labor. And so that brokenness and that domination that we were supposed to have on creation, we try to have on each other. And because we don't like the rebellion of creation against us, we try to use classifications to subject others to us and therefore we come up with constructs where we can feel superior because creation is making us feel inferior. That's why throughout the history of the world we've had a pattern of slavery. Whether it's on North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia, the only continent in the entire world to not know the pains of subjecting one human to another is Antarctica. But every society, every civilization has had a form of saying, you know what, because creation has rebelled, because the world doesn't function the way I think it should, I am going to establish myself as superior to this other person, this other group of people, based on this, 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 and this. And because I don't want to work, because I don't want to deal with the labor, I'm going to subject someone else to the labor, someone else to this pattern, because the world has rebelled against me. See, we thought it was just as simple as, well, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That introduced sin. We're all sinners. We need Jesus. But we've got to see how deep sinfulness goes. How deep sinfulness runs. How it grips our very heart and has completely broken what God has placed us here to do. How God had designed us to love him, to love one another. Remember, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. It wasn't just going to be Adam and Eve in that garden. It wasn't just going to be the two of them because they were get commanded to fill the earth, to populate the earth. Oh, imagine the populated earth without the toil, the struggle, the hurt. Imagine it with freedom. And so what does God do? God provides a covering for Adam and Eve. Notice he says there in verse 20, the man called his wife Eve, his name, her name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Garments of skin. Here we have the first sacrificial act in all of scripture. The first act of redemption. Sin requires to be covered by blood. Through the Old Testament was the blood of bulls and goats and donkeys and heifers and, and birds. Here, God says there has to be blood for the sin that you have committed. So God himself mediates this covenant with Adam and Eve by taking the life of another part of creation, pulling the skin and making a covering. It's not just about the clothes, it's about the blood that is now covering their sin. He provides more than just a loincloth, he provides a covering for their sin. I know we're behind on time, so I'm gonna kind of get through these last couple of things really quick. Adam and Eve are removed from the Garden of Eden. 
Notice it says, the Lord God said to him, behold, the man has become like one of us. Remember, he's talking the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're there together. He's become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out, and there at the east of the garden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. That tree of life is hugely important because it was not forbidden for Adam and Eve to eat. It was given to them so that they would live forever. But God said, I can't let them live forever in this current state of brokenness. I can't let them live forever in this idea that they now know what we know as far as good and evil. I can't let them live forever with this. So they've got to go. But you want the good news? That tree doesn't disappear. Now, I'm not saying that you can go over to the Middle East somewhere and find it right now. I'm saying that God and his supernatural power is going to bring that tree back because you get over the book of Revelation chapter 22 and you see right there the image of the tree of life given in the new Jerusalem so that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have professed faith in him, will eat of this fruit of this tree forever for it says it is there by the river of life and it yields its fruit every month. Because you and I were created to live forever. God said, I'm going to make all this right. I'm going to bring this tree back and you will live with me forever. But he has to remove them from the garden until the time is right. So what do we do with this? Three quick things. God's word and God's authority go hand in hand. You can't have the authority of God without the word of God. And the word of God does not stand without the authority of God. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Adam and Eve were deceived because God's authority was minimized and God's word was twisted. Had Adam stood up and said, no, on the authority of God, we were commanded not to eat of this tree, so we're not going to eat of this tree. The word of God, the authority of God would have been upheld and things would have been dramatically different. It's the same for you. You cannot live under the authority of God if you're not studying the word of God and you can't look at the word of God without understanding it comes by the authority of God. This is scripture. It's not just sacred words. You can't just pick and choose which parts you like and which parts you don't. It's either all the word of God or none of it's the word of God. It doesn't just contain the word of God. It is the word of God. And on his authority, if he was powerful enough to make everything out of nothing, remember Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God, I mean, it's kind of a big statement, right? Not just that he created, but that he exists, that he was there. And he didn't create something that he left alone. He created something that he is intimately involved with. And that includes you and me. That includes all of us together. But, but if he was powerful enough and, and, and mighty enough to, by his own word, create everything. And then by the authority of his Holy Spirit, give his word. See, some would say, well, it was just the originals. What they originally wrote down in the Hebrew and the Greek. That's the word of God. What we have best is, you know, a little translation. If God was powerful enough and authoritative enough to give it to you in the first place, don't you think he could protect it so that what you have in your hand is reliable to know that he is the Lord God and this is his word? Don't fall for the lie that this is just some cheap imitation of what was really given by God. This is it. His word and his authority, they go hand in hand. Second, you can run, but you cannot hide. You, you can run. You can try to cover your sin. You can put your, man, I, I, I call it your Sunday best. Don't, don't we come to church with our Sunday best? Hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. Shake that hand and smile and keep walking. Most church people make great politicians because you know how to shake hands and smile while lying through your teeth. I'm not saying you come in here and you tell everybody every act of wickedness you've ever done. But I'm also saying don't try to hide from God. Don't just try to mask it and say, well, I went to church. I tithe. I got my Sunday school pen for perfect attendance last year. Don't, don't just say, well, I, I, I did this, I did that. No, 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 no. We can all do some really good things. We can all do some really nice things. But that's not a substitute for the wickedness that wells within our heart continually. 
It does not matter right now if you were saved 50 years ago or five minutes ago. You continually need the gospel because the gospel continually reminds us of the love of God in light of our sin. That continual opportunity to say, God, I know, I, I sin, I, I, I sin, I need you. I need you, I need you, I need you. You're, you're saved, you're forever saved, you're not going to lose your salvation. But the gospel continues to make you new. But we try to hide. Adam tried to cover, cover himself fig leaves. He tried to hide in the garden that God made me. God made that garden. He knew every nook and cranny in there. He knew all the hides. It's like playing hide and seek with a kid. We'd play hide and seek with the kids a good bit at the house, whatever. There's only so many hiding places. But it's still kind of fun because they'll look everywhere else except for that one hiding place you always go to. Yeah. When you know the design, you know where to hide. And, and see, guess what? God designed you, God made you, and he knows what your tendencies are. He knew what your tendencies would be before he ever made you. And so he knows exactly how you're going to try to hide. He knows exactly where you're going to try to mask your shame. He knows exactly why you're going to tuck your tail and cower like a scared dog. You can't hide from God. You can cover your sin in church. You can hide your sin here. You can put on the smile, but you can't hide it from God. You can try to run, but you cannot hide. He, he will find you. And in his grace and in his mercy, he will call you out for his sin to show you that he is the true savior. To show you that he is the one to whom you, from, whom, from whom you must receive forgiveness. And the last thing, only God's covering will suffice. I love that picture there at the end. You got Adam over here with his nice little, uh, it's almost, I, I, what I always picture is probably isn't what it is, but I picture like a hula skirt. You know, you took some like grass weeds, whatever. I know they put pictures like one leaf. It says he sewed some things together. It wasn't just one leaf. Some picture like a grass skirt you'd find like in Hawaii or something. And, and he, he's got that on. He's got himself covered. He's like, yep, I'm good. And God says, no, you're not. You need the covering that I'll provide. Because you can't hide from your sin and because God has an authoritative word and he has pointed out directly what is sin, he's also pointed out directly what is salvation. And it's only by the salvation that he offers that your sin can be covered. It's not a new robe. It's not a new, it's not a new coat. It's not a new car. It's not a new house. It's not a new job. It's not a new situation in life. It is a new heart in Christ Jesus that covers all of your sin. The blood of Jesus washing over you. So wherever you are in this garden, wherever you are trying to hide, run to the cross of Jesus Christ because only his covering will cover you. Only his covering is sufficient. Only his covering will avert the wrath of God for your sin because he is merciful and he is gracious and God himself has offered to cover your sin with his son. Amen. 